Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, OMB's collaboration equation for cyber accountability. I think the accountability can be a collaborative accountability rather than the the 40 lashes. And the government's zero trust point people on their own zero trust journey. We had a very successful Hack DHS event that is ongoing where we're really testing uh, through the hacker community uh, the integrity of our systems and that's proven extremely valuable here at CISA. It's Friday, January 28th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Agencies should start asking employees if they've gotten boosters for COVID, according to the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force. Employees that come into close contact with somebody who's positive can use weather and safety leave. The task force says if an employee gets sick and can't telework, they can use sick leave or annual leave to take time off. A group of members of Congress tell the National Science Foundation and the Office of Science and Technology Policy they should start staffing a task force on artificial intelligence policy. The National AI Research Resource Task Force Act established the body, a bipartisan letter from Senators Rob Portman and Martin Heinrich and Representatives Anna Eshoo and Anthony Gonzalez, says the task force needs more talent and more specialized talent. The State Department says a, quote, technical explanation is behind an email problem it suffered Thursday. Dave Nitschpeer's covering it for fedscoop.com and joins me now. Dave, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. State Department got right out in front of this right away. Why did they want to make it clear that this is a technical glitch and not something else? Welcome. Well, uh, we've heard from the Department of Homeland Security, uh, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, that uh, that the government is on heightened alert for a cyber attack, given some of the events uh, that we've seen geopolitically with Russia and a potential invasion of Ukraine. So the State Department came right out of the gate, like you say, and uh, just rebuffed this as nothing more than a, a technical issue. We have no indication. I'm sorry, absolutely no indication this outage had anything to do with malicious activity. In fact, we believe there's a technical explanation for it a little more context to his remarks and i went back and watched the video and there's no panic there there's no this it's kind of matter of fact and the the matter of fact is that outages happen i guess from time to time across agencies don't they dave yeah, this is a this is a normal thing. Obviously, not a thing that people like to have happen. Especially, uh, we don't know the the scope of this this outage yet. Uh, I'm working on figuring that out as we speak. But uh, but obviously, it's going to be a huge inconvenience, uh, or it was a huge inconvenience yesterday for a lot of people. Uh, but uh, but uh, like the press secretary was saying, uh, it wasn't really affecting his afternoon. Uh, he hadn't even looked at his email in hours when he was talking about the issue. So, um, yeah, I just think it's it's one of those things that we see from time to time at agencies. And uh, it, it seems like it's getting handled pretty promptly. Um, you, are, as you said, we'll be following up on this and look forward to continued reporting on it. Uh, a lot of reporting this week on a lot of subjects, a busy week this week, basically, Dave. Um, you uh, reported this week on the uh, Fatara hearing and the changes to the potential scorecard. We're seeing some conversation now starting to bubble up about changing FISMA and all of that. What are you hearing about some of these pieces that are kind of flying around the atmosphere in Washington right now? I know there was talk at the hearing about shaking up the Fitara scorecard, but uh, a lot of the initial responses are still just pretty positive about the, the overall scores uh, that we saw, uh, specifically the data center optimization initiative where every agency scored an A. 
on that that metric. Uh, uh, Dan Pomeroy, who's the deputy deputy associate administrator of the Office of Information Integrity and Access, was talking earlier this week and just said it was a major success uh, that they've been working towards as the data center optimization initiative project management office. So this is something they've been working at for years. And, and so they were really excited to see straight A's. So that's one thing I was hearing. Uh, other things I've been hearing are, are more on the shaking up the scorecard side of things. Uh, a lot of uh, stuff around zero trust going on this week at agencies. Uh, ATARC uh, sort of was touting its uh, progress on its zero trust lab uh, and just working towards uh, getting agencies working more closely with vendors that offer zero trust solutions and, and working on toward interconnectivity of those solutions. Uh, I think that might be a metric that we ultimately see on the Fatara scorecard in some way, just gauging how agencies are implementing tools and how successfully they're, they are at integrating these tools. I want to go to zero trust in a minute, but uh, before we leave the Fatara scorecard, is there a lot of concern in your view, either on the Hill or among the agencies that the EIS transition off networks has been such a dud. I mean, there's a bunch of F's on this scorecard. Um, a couple of A's, one B, but a lot of red scores there. Yeah, I haven't heard anything on that front yet. Uh, it's another thing that I'm kind of uh, keeping my ear to the ground, uh, working to to get a comment from GSA on on the EIS transition. Obviously, they didn't have a great score, and they're leading the charge here. So. I'll be very interested to hear in the coming weeks, and I'm sure we will hear in the coming weeks uh, on the EIS transition and any efforts to hit those deadlines or potentially move those deadlines, which GSA has been firm about in the past that they're not going to move them. Uh, great timing for ATARC as far as the zero trust effort that they're undertaking uh, is concerned because that, your story about that came out, and then right after that, the zero trust strategy comes out from the Office of Management and Budget. Um, what's your takeaway from what you've heard so far about the zero trust strategy? Because just about every agency person I talk to says, yes, we're already on the zero trust journey. We're already making progress in that respect. So it, it strikes me the strategy comes at least looks like more a codification of what agencies are already doing than a bunch of new instructions. Deadlines are new. I understand that. But um, as far as the broader conceptual journey goes, something agencies have already started, right? Yeah, uh, Guy Cavallo, we've, we've heard him talk quite a bit this week about uh, just how this was something his his agency was already on a path to implementing and, and really the, the cyber EO and, and the push towards zero trust have just underscored the work that a lot of CIOs have already been pushing towards. Um, the, the interesting thing with the Zero Trust Lab is that uh, you're really seeing agencies get a sense for the vendor landscape around Zero Trust tools, uh, which is exciting because this is sort of the boots on the ground, figuring out what tools would work for your agency and then figuring out how to integrate them. Um, so a lot of activity on that front. Uh, and that lab is su supposed to go another month before they sort of iterate on what they think zero trust the definition should be and, and then push further into this idea of integrating tools dave nichapier great reporting as always on fedscoop.com thanks for joining me happy weekend thanks for having me you can read dave's reporting and read about these headlines and lots of other stories at fedscoop.com 
The federal chief information security officer would get new budget power under FISMA legislation the House of Representatives is proposing. It's similar to legislation in the Senate. Grant Schneider is former federal chief information security officer. He's now senior director of cybersecurity services at Venable, and he was a witness at the recent FISMA modernization hearing. Grant, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program today. What's your takeaway now that we've seen the legislation the House is bringing? What's your takeaway on the actual legislation based on the hearing that you attended and testified at? Welcome. Yeah, Francis. Uh, hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you with you again. Um, I, I think the, the, the hearing uh, w- went very well. I thought the, the members were very engaged and asked a lot of questions. And I think the, the legislation, I'm, I'm really pleased with what they came out with. I think it's a, uh, I think they added on to what HISGAC had done in the Senate. Um, I think it's an improvement. A number of the things that, that I think all of actually the witnesses had recommended um, have been included in the bill. Uh, and so I would definitely like to see this move forward. You made five key points to the committee, and I wonder if you might address each one of them and see what you see in the text compared to what you talked about. The first one was clarifying key federal cybersecurity roles and responsibilities. The White House has already said we're going to do that to the extent that we can by executive order, and we expect to see that within the coming weeks or months. But where do you think there is a lack of clarity that you would like to see more clarity, have Congress prescribe more clarity, Grant? Yeah, I I was really looking for... um for the, the House version to delineate more between what OMB's um, responsibilities are, CISA's responsibilities, and the National Cyber Director. Um, I, I candidly thought the, the Senate version was a little too much of all three of these players are going to be involved with almost everything. And, and I think that, you know, the, the more clarity we have, it's better for industry, it's better for agencies to really know who to go to um, when and where. And one of the things I said to the, the House committee was, you know, if, if you can't get it, don't feel the need to be overly granular. If you do it at a high level and you let the executive branch figure it out from there and you task the president to do something, I think that works as well. The second point that you made was uh, codify. You used the term codify. I'm going to add the term clarify the role of federal chief information security officer as a, a political appointee. Um, and you had a list of five things here. Serve as Deputy National Cyber Director, Chair of the Federal Acquisition Security Council, permanent member of the TMF Board, Approval Authority for the CISA Budget, Approval Authority for Agency Cybersecurity Budgets. Is there a risk that that person, I'm not picking on you because you didn't have that authority, but is there a risk that that person is not touching the individual agency cybersecurity budget sufficiently to know what the agency really needs, Grant? Well, I, I think that it's incumbent on the CISO to be in touch with what agencies are doing. So, I, I mean, if they're not, that would certainly be a risk. But, but I think it's it's part of their job. And certainly, uh, if you formalize them in the the budget process to some degree, it's going to mandate that. And I think right now, I, I will say I got to participate in the the budget process when I was the the federal CISO. My understanding is Krista Russia, the, the current federal CISO, is, is able to do that. Um, but I think for me, and I think probably for him, it was more, you know, force of personality and relationships as opposed to just being documented as part of the roles. And I, I just think it's really helpful to be sure that someone's looking at the budget 
thinking about cybersecurity because the potential impacts of cyber are, are just so, so great and can be catastrophic at any agency. Another item you brought up was requiring agencies to have greater situational awareness of their technology environments as part of their risk management programs. What does that include exactly? And what are agencies not doing now that you think they should do with the oversight of the federal CISO? Yeah, I, I think agencies need to understand you know, what's happening in, in, in their networks and in their environments. And whenever we have a big solar winds or log4j or some sort of incident, we, we immediately go to how do we prevent these things? And I, 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 we should try to prevent cyber incidents wherever we can, but we really need to be able to detect them and mitigate them um, very quickly. So to me, it's the situational awareness is, you know, what's the hardware, the software and the users that are operating, but then what information is going in and out of my, my network and my environment? Am I deeply inspecting the, the sessions? Am I actually looking for malware? Um, in addition to indicators of compromise being, you know, an IP address or the hash of a known bad, bad file, but, but do I really have that situational awareness so that I can quickly detect and rapidly mitigate um, for any incident or anything, you know, irregular that's happening in the environment. Another item you mentioned is holding OMB accountable for maintaining the definition of a major incident to ensure the right level of information is being reported to Congress. What's accountable mean? Is that 40 lashes with a wet noodle? Is it a good scolding? Is it somebody's fired tomorrow? What's the what's the continuum look like? Yeah, we, we, we struggle with that in government of who is the accountability police, right? And, and right. what does that actually look like? Um, and, and part of that was a reaction. His GAC had actually uh, written in some pretty prescriptive um, definitions around and thresholds for what would be a major incident. And, you know, my experience um, when we first started defining major incident at OMB when I was in the government was it, it's hard um, you, you want to be sure that the right things are getting reported to Congress and people are, you know, that, that when it's a five alarm fire that you're ringing the, the bell and you've got all hands on deck responding to mix my metaphors um, and that you don't want to report so many things that Congress becomes numb and that the committee say, hey, just stop sending me this. I don't care anymore. Um, and, and I think that's hard to do in legislation and it's better done in the executive branch and i think if congress doesn't like the way that omb is doing it then they can bring omb up and and talk to them and, and ask them and and kind of work i think the accountability can be a collaborative accountability rather than the the 40 lashes the last item that you mentioned is requiring greater alignment of core cyber requirements based on NIST guidance for both national security systems and non-national security systems and when i first read this I thought, aren't we already doing that? And I guess the word that's operative in that, uh, in your uh, item there, is require that, right? Am I on the right track? Yeah, you, you, you definitely are. There is a lot of synergy, I think, between what happens inside of, of DOD and the intelligence community on national security systems and, and what happens with uh, federal um, systems. But I think from an industry standpoint, you know, most of industry is trying trying to or is selling into both of these environments. Um, and you don't want to have to, you know, if, if we can have more synergy on ATO regimes, compliance regimes, 
um, and really make sure that you're not having to, to develop different aspects of your product for use in, within a national security system. Now, you may need additional security controls within a national security system, but the baseline controls should be start with the, the standards and then you know, layer in on top of that. I'm not saying they need to meet the same basic requirements, but but you should have the same minimum. And then as all agencies and organizations, federal civilian, IC or DOD, um, can layer on additional ones as their risk appetite um, and their system uh, requirements demand. Uh, you mentioned his GAC on the Senate side and the House Oversight Committee uh, the, at the hearing that you attended, uh, testified at. It strikes me this is a good sign that this is happening at the committee level and not the subcommittee level. For so long, this stuff happened at the subcommittee level. It kind of passed to the committee, and the committee paid attention or didn't pay attention. It, cyber is finally rising to the appropriate level in as far as the attention Congress pays to it, isn't it, Grant? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. I, I think it's, you know, cyber is has become a mainstream in all of our personal and professional lives. Um, and, and I think necessarily so, right? We, we, we've seen just in the last you know, 12, 18 months, the, the impacts that cyber can have on, on our personal lives, on, on our organizations. Um, and I think cyber is um, an existential, could be an existential threat to most organizations, right? The, the wrong type of, of cyber uh, activity or a failure to do your due diligence and, and really implement you know, an appropriate risk management program um, can can be uh, just have very significant consequences. I'm amazed that we got this far into the conversation and we're just now getting to risk management. So I'll have to have you come back and talk about that subject on its own sometime. Grant, it's great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We'd love to. Thank you very much, Francis. You can find a link to more on FISMA reform, including the hearing Grant testified at in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, coming on Monday's show, an inside look at the president's management agenda vision. Dustin Brown from the Office of Management and Budget will tell you more about what OMB will track and how agencies should respond. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts Monday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency will be one of the pivot points of this week's Zero Trust strategy for the federal government. The agency's working on its own Zero Trust items, too. Robert Costello's Chief Information Officer at CISA. He tells my colleague Wyatt Cash, Zero Trust has already helped CISA's remote work posture. We had a lot of people that could already telework, and we did have systems in place to quickly scale up. I think what we're realizing now is that we'll be like this uh, for a long period of time, we're going to migrate to a hybrid, uh, you know, work model in many locations. So as we take a look at identity, particularly here at CISA, we're taking uh, a, hopefully a different approach to make sure that we're constantly identifying who's accessing our, our systems and data, uh, and also tightly integrating uh, identity management and credentialing systems as we roll out some of our new expanded uh offerings here for our, our user base. And that's uh, work that'll start this year and really continue in the 23 and 24 timeline. And then how would you say uh, CISA is moving towards um, what's often called a more human-centric cybersecurity approach, for instance, by you know helping equip employees to deal with the growing threat of ransomware and phishing attacks and, and more nuanced approaches to compromises? 
Sure. Well, I definitely encourage everyone to uh, head over to stopransomwarrior.gov, which gives a lot of great information from CISA and our uh, partners across government on that, that subject matter. Here, I'm taking a harder look on doing phishing campaigns to make sure people are following the training we give them. Uh, we had a very successful hack DHS event that is ongoing where we're really testing uh, through the hacker community uh, the integrity of our systems, and that's proven extremely valuable here at CISA. I, I think elsewhere, uh, you know, we're stepping up our training for all areas. CISA deals uh, you know, extensively, not just in the cybersecurity area, but in many others, infrastructure security, school safety, the Office of Bombing Prevention. We want to make sure all those employees, too, get the same level of assurance that, you know, that the systems they access are safe uh, and that, you know, they get the same training that maybe their specialty is in cybersecurity. But I'm making sure that my office is ramping up efforts to educate everyone across the agency on what to look out for. And then lastly, and maybe a little more pragmatically, what steps are being implemented to help, you know, your organization's employees create and manage their passwords more effectively? Well, I think all of us should be looking at uh, any system that still uses passwords, we should ask why. Uh, you know, we certainly want people to move to multi-factor authentication. And that's something that, you know, we're very proud of. Uh, that you know we've rolled out quite effectively at, at, at DHS. Elsewhere for systems that don't or can't maybe legacy systems that still rely on passwords. We want to make sure people are, are securing them, that they're complex, you know, per the, the system requirements, uh, and, and that they're changed uh, frequently and heavily monitored. Uh, we particularly discourage, uh, you know, any usage of passwords for privileged access to systems. That's something that you want to really make sure is controlled under a multi-factor uh, system. Robert Costello, the Chief Information Officer at CISA with my colleague Wyatt Cash. You can find a link to the video of that conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire Scoop News group team contributes monday's daily scoop podcast takes an up-close look at the president's management agenda that show debuts monday afternoon until then have a great weekend i'm francis rose thanks for listening